Hello, everyone, and welcome to the March 16, 2023 meeting of the Parks and Open Space Commission. I'd like to call this meeting to order and thank you all for being here today. Just as a reminder to everyone, this meeting is being conducted in a hybrid format, so members of the public can participate online using the Zoom link provided in the agenda. We will now move to the first item in our agenda, which is the public comments. Number two is members of the public wishing to comment on items that are not on the agenda are welcome to do so under this public comment item. Please note that commissioners are not authorized to engage in discussion around comments made during this item due to the requirements of the Brown Act. Each speaker will have up to three minutes to make their comments. Since this is a hybrid meeting, we will first look to members of the audience here in the chambers to see if anyone would like to make any comments under this item. Any members in the chamber? Please, state your name and Hello, my name is Poppy Lasher, um, and I'm here on behalf of the Marin County Youth Commission. So, um, Dear Parks and Open Space Commission and Marin County Board of Supervisors, we are the Marin County Youth Commission. We are made up of 23 youth from all different parts of Marin County. We are mostly in high school with one seventh grader. We are 13 students of color and 10 white students. Our commissioners attend 13 different schools. Our goal is to act as a political voice for young people, particularly those in underserved populations, including youth of color, youth with disabilities, homeless youth, rural youth, and LGBTQ youth, by engaging with the Marin County Board of Supervisors and other policymakers. Last year, we partnered with Kevin Wright and Marin County Parks to create and administer a survey to youth about access to parks. We had 339 students answer the survey. We want to highlight two points. When asked what are some of the reasons you might not visit a park, 42.1% said the cost of entry. When asked, do you feel a positive difference in your mental or physical well-being when you spend time outdoors, 95% said yes. With that being said, we strongly support the elimination of park entry fees. Eliminating the fees will encourage people to spend more time outside, which will improve overall well-being in our community. Parks should be free so that low-income people can have access to our local beauty. The outdoors should be a right for all of our residents, not a privilege only for the few. Eliminating park fees will help teens and young people enjoy nature without the barrier of being able to afford the fees. We believe that our parks need to be accessible. Eliminating the fees will encourage those that felt the fees were a barrier to finally visit the parks. It will also make it easier on big families to enjoy time at the parks. Lastly, we believe it will increase appreciation of nature because more people will enjoy our parks and all their beauty. One youth commissioner wrote, Marin County Parks was a part of my childhood, and I was privileged enough to visit them. All children should have the ability to explore nature and connect with their surroundings. Getting rid of the fees would make the parks more accessible to all people and allow new people to have the nature escape that humans crave. We are hopeful that you will vote to eliminate the park fees and are excited to live in a county that is truly making changes to be more inclusive and equitable. Sincerely, the Marin County Youth Commission. Thank you. Any other comments for public? And just to note, that is 
uh, item that will be on the agenda later okay. about the fees. So if that's, yeah, if there's more comments about it, stick around for that item. So. Can I say now, just I want to piggyback on what she said, park fee. We limited yeah. the entrance park fee because I experienced, my name is Vin Lu, by the way. I'm the project director for Marine Asia Navigacy Project. Our project having a, a mental health prevention program called Healthy uh, Eating, Active Living. At the time that we apply a grant from, from your department, then we've got a mini grant. Uh, the idea is to take people to a park. Imagine the canal area, so many immigrants live there. And uh, the first time we ever got the mini grant, we were able to provide transportation, a little bit of refreshment, and bring the family into the park with free entrance, of course, because of the, 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 the grant that we have. So the, very surprisingly, that many of them live in Canal for 20 years. They don't know their beautiful background, uh, Magnia Beach is the accessible for everyone. So we took them there, and they're so appreciated, and uh, they come back. And I asked them, why, why did you guys uh, experience this park before and come to enjoy the park? I said, well, there are many barriers. There are two barriers. The, is the transportation and uh, uh, park entrance fee for the family. So I think, wow, that's the, the many, uh, of course, many other barriers, well, walking and all the schedule, the conflict. But I think park, uh, eliminate the park entrance fee is a part of the barriers. So I strongly recommend that you will reconsider that. And uh, I hope you will, I think you will provide a good opportunity for everyone able to accept our Marine County of the offer for them. Uh, recently, I, I just see something about the low income and the income structure of our county. Uh, family make a single uh, person make over $100,000 consider low income. So the, the people we are talking today that we're working with daily, they are very, very, very low income. Thank you for your opportunity. Thank you, Bin. Any other comments from public? If not, we can ask for comments online. Yes, the first speaker is Bill Hill. Please unmute. Mr. Hill, please unmute. There you go. Can you hear me now? We can hear you now. Go ahead, sir. Thank you. Uh, yes, my name is Hale, Bill Hale. My interest is in the uh, park across the street there, Lagoon Park. It's our flagship park of all the parks in the system. Um, it hasn't been getting the care that it should over the past years. Part of it was probably budget constraints and things of that nature, but that's improved. Um, I just checked recently. We now have apparently three staffers that work the park. The high tide was 13. So we need some attention to the park. There's so many things that need to be fixed and can, can be improved. Um, that park should sparkle and show Marin County at its best, especially since it's right here, part of the Civic Center complex and um, our flagship park. Thank you very much. Third person on the other, there are no additional speakers in the queue. Thank you. We, we proceed to the next item in the agenda, which is the director's report. Matt? Thank you, Commissioners. Uh, Max Corton, Director of Marin County Parks. And um, just wanted to note a couple of um, things going on right now. One, we just wrapped up last Friday the uh, comment period for the Roy's Redwood uh, CEQA uh, 
um, item. And so we got 16 comments, and we'll be following up on those. Um, the Memorial Trail Project, which is a, a trail and restoration project that is, well, if, if those curtains were open, you could see it on the hill uh, right where it is there, um, is going to start break ground uh, just in a couple weeks, as long as we get a little bit of dry weather. Um, so that's very exciting. And then, um, you know, all this wet weather has been great for uh, pulling broom. So there's a lot of uh, uh, invasive broom removal work going on. Uh, San Pedro Mountain, there's work going on right now. Camino Alto, a number of other places. Um, and then uh, I wanted to note that there are new signs on our multi-use path at Horse Hill. Uh, it's a project um, that we worked in collaboration with the local uh, cities with um, Supervisor Moulton Peters and uh, a number of Marin County Bicycle Coalition, a number of biking uh, groups, and uh, we're, it's a great pilot, and we're hoping to roll out similar signs across all of our multi-use paths. And then uh, in Lagoon Park, our, sort of following up on, on Bill Hale's uh, comment, I just want to appreciate... Chris's leadership, he's been working with um, a number of other departments in our county administrator's office to create a stronger partnership to address some of the items that need to be refurbished in Lagoon Park. And I'm actually really hopeful that we're going to be able to uh, make that park shine like uh, Bill Hale said in his comments. So uh, uh, it's, it's exciting work, and I appreciate Chris's leadership. Thank you, Max. Any comments or questions from the commissioners? No? Did you receive any comments on the Roy's Redwood CEQA that either surprised you or were unduly negative? I haven't reviewed all of them yet, but I, I think, um, yeah, we got 16 of them. Uh, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't, I couldn't say one way or the other, but it was, okay. you know, yeah. And when, so the comment period is, has ended, and what happens next? So staff reviews the comments, then we respond to comments and figure out what the next step is based on that response. When you respond to the comments, can you copy the commission just, you know, in general? Yes. Any other questions, comments in the audience, online? Chairperson Oviedo, there are no speakers in the queue. That's okay. We move to our next item, number four, is approving the minutes for the meeting held in January 19. I'll move approval as distributed. Second. Okay. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Approve. Minutes approved. Thank you, everyone. Next item is an action item in the agenda is the veg veg vegetation management program of of work, um, we have a presentation and then some recommendations for action for from the staff. Thank you, Commissioner Guardado. And if we could share the presentation, I'll give a quick introduction and then Sarah Minnick, who's our fire and vegetation ecologist, is going to lead this presentation. But I just want to note this is a really important function of your commission. Uh, you know, vegetation management and fuels reduction is a really big part of our work, and. Uh, you know, our board, what, like five or six years ago, asked us to have a, um, 
very transparent process around planning this work. And that really included your commission, whether we give you a presentation in January, uh, we get feedback from your commission. We also bring that same information to uh, a lot of local environmental groups through our environmental roundtable to local fire jurisdictions through the MWPA and others and get feedback. And that all builds towards the presentation that Sarah's going to give today. And then um, this program of work, then what we ask from your commission is, again, to give us more feedback and and then potentially recommend this program of work be included in the budget that we bring to the Board of Directors for the Open Space District in June. Yeah, push it hard. There you go. <laughs> All right, thanks, Max. That was everything I was going to say on the first slide, so we can move <laughs> okay. to the next slide. <laughs> um, so uh, just a reminder about the timeline, um, as Max said, uh, you know, we are bringing this to you kind of in the January to March timeframe. So today is really just to, um, as a reminder of what we presented in January and um, kind of looking forward towards the, the Board of Supervisors meeting that would include this work um, as part of our budget. Um, and also just uh, to note that we, you know, we do discuss this work all year round, um, but then with the goal of coming up with um, a plan for the next fiscal year um, by January so that we can bring that to you. So we're always open for discussion and we're always um, having meetings and sharing our work with anybody who's interested. Um, but this is a particularly important time as we head into um, our budget for the next fiscal year. So next slide. Um, just to uh, do a little review of that budget, that we do have 2.6 million uh, set aside for fuels management as part of um, Measure A. And um, I shared this last time, how that uh, money is divided amongst the different um, major types of work that we do in fuel reduction. And I wanted to expand a little bit. I know there was a question um, at, at the end of the January presentation about how our grants play into this. So um, on the next slide, you can move on. Um, this shows that that same 2.6 million, but we shaved a, a 0.2 off of that and use it as matching funding, and we were able to acquire the $350,000 of grant funding that um, I talked about last time. We um, have a couple projects that we're, we're using that grant um, money for, and so that really gives us uh, closer to $3 million um, with our Measure A and our grant funding put together. So next slide. Um, and then in addition to that funding, we also are partnering with the Marin Wildfire Prevention Authority, which provides um, additional funding um, for our projects sometimes to expand them um, and to leverage our funding um, and for us to leverage our, leverage our Measure A funding um, on these projects um, just to, to enhance and expand them. Um, next slide. We're, so. Just to show how that's been working, um, last year in 2022, we did a number of projects with the Marin Wildfire Prevention Authority. Um, we worked with San Rafael Fire uh, in the Terra Linda defensible space, uh, working on woody fuels management, where places where uh, goats and mowing don't, um, don't achieve all the work that needs to be done. And then uh, in Mill Valley, we worked um, on some shaded fuel break projects, as well as in Lucas Valley. Next slide. Um, 
So, and then the other project that was pretty big for us last year was the Greater Ross Valley Shaded Field Break, um, a, a large portion of which was completed and happened on our open space, on the edges of our open space where that's adjacent to homes. Um, and then that project will continue into this coming year um, as one of our big priorities. Um, it's, a, it's a very large project and, and was not able to be completed in one year. So we'll, we'll look forward to working on that this year. Um, and uh, kind of going forward, we're starting new projects in Novato. We have a shaded fuel break project, um, as well as um, our Ridgewood shaded uh, fuel break project where we're focusing on eucalyptus. Uh, next slide. Um, so as Max mentioned, uh, our work between January and March is largely communicating all of this work, um, sharing our plans for the upcoming year, and then receiving feedback and making adjustments as needed. Um, we have our monthly environmental roundtable meetings um, and um, just talking to individual community members or community groups, whoever's interested. And, and I also um, received a request from the Marine Conservation League's Parks and Open Space Commission. So we've been sharing information about our work, um, any data summaries that they've been asking for. Um, I've been working to provide those to, to interested parties and also sharing how people can access uh, the data for themselves and how um, you all can access this data as well. Um, so uh, next slide. Um, I did just want to revisit that because I, I know it's um, really important for everybody to be able to see what work is coming up, what work we've done in the past. So we do have an interactive map online. Uh, you can go there, zoom in, you can mouse over any dot on the landscape um, and see details and detailed information about the work that's happening there. Um, and you can filter it. In this case, um, I'm gonna share a little bit of the information that I compiled for the Marine Conservation League about 2022. So this is kind of a look back at what we completed last year, but it's also um, a really good representation of the work that we're planning to do next year that we're asking you to um, recommend for inclusion in our budget. So um, I was able to go on our, our interactive website and download all the information about 2022. And um, next slide. I was able to um, differentiate all the, the types of work that we do by method, and so you can see how, um, how much work we do in the different areas. Um, grazing is our, our largest acreage because we have 1,600 acres at Mount Burdell that's grazed seasonally every year, um, and that is an important part of keeping the, the uh, flashy fuels low in that preserve, which is a, primarily a grassland. So uh, beyond that, we do a lot of mowing, hand pulling, um, and fuel break work. Next slide. And so the um, online database allows you to really uh, dive in and you can see each individual project that goes into these different types of methods. So if you wanna look at that detail, it's there for you. Next slide. Um, as I mentioned, uh, with our grazing, we have cows at Mount Burdell. Uh, you can also see that we have horses at Horse Hill. We have uh, goat grazing projects as well. Next slide. Um, our mowing, you can see all those dots on the screen on the map are, um, many of them are those over 300 mowing uh, locations that um, we maintain every year, the grass regrows every year, and those are defensible space areas where it's important to reduce the risk of uh, fire right adjacent to homes. Next slide. 
Um, and then we do a lot of hand pulling work as well. So um, it's very effective and um, you can see in the database all the species that we um, target. So it's a lot of broom, but uh, there are a number of other species that you um, could explore the database and find information that we pull star thistle, for example, and, and a suite of other species. Um, and then those fuel break projects that I, I spoke to at the beginning where we're partnering with local fire agencies, those are also a part of this data that's available. Next slide. Um, and I just wanted to kind of end on um, how important it is to protect our biological resources during all of this work, whether it's just hand pulling, whether it's our own staff doing the work, or it's a contractor um, in a fuel break project. Uh, we do a lot of um, work kind of year-round through time, long-term um, uh, monitoring and survey work just to know where our resources are because really one of the best ways that we can protect those resources is to know where they are and then to avoid them if at all possible. So we do that um, in the event that we need to work in those areas. We have uh, pre-work surveys. We um, can establish uh, avoidance or buffer areas and, um, and really try to protect those locations. Um, our staff is there on site to do trainings and to supervise the work. And then after the project is complete, it's really important to revisit those sites to see um, how the work is progressing so that we can adapt our management and do the most effective work um, possible. And also to see, you know, those areas uh, might have been disturbed and, and to address any issues that we've um, introduced or exacerbated, maybe they were things that were already there, but um, we want to make sure that we're addressing those issues. So we have an early detection and rapid response crew that's really critical in that work of revisiting um, all of our lands in the areas where we're likely to see problems pop up so we can catch them early. So with that, um, thank you for your time again. And um, uh, if there are, you know, if there are any questions, happy to answer those. And then uh, if there aren't any outstanding issues, again, we just ask um, that you would consider recommending this type of work and this program of work uh, to be included in our budget. Thanks. Any questions or comments or Michael first? Oh, you first. Uh, great presentations here. Really very interested in the whole project. Uh, you mentioned uh, observing uh, impacts and adaptions that you might make. Can you give us any examples of any adaptions you might have made? Um, gosh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's so much work going on. I'm trying to think sure. of uh, a particular example. But I mean, I know with our grazing, we learned a lot. It was um, targeted grazing, prescribed grazing was not something that um, we had, had done previously. And so um, we started, you know, it's good to start small, try pilot projects, and then learn from those. And so, yes, we did learn uh, one example was grazing early in an area that has star thistle um, was something that made the star thistle worse. So it didn't bring in a new problem, it just exacerbated an existing one. And so uh, we were able to shift our grazing later in the season, and that um, either was kind of a neutral action or possibly even um, helped reduce the star thistle to graze it later. So just observing that difference between early and late grazing is, a, is an example. And with um, all the rains, uh, the vegetation's gonna grow a lot more than say in a dry year. Um, so as we hit the summer months, our you know, potential for uh, wildland fire increases 
um, because of the increased fuel load. Uh, so I think it's important, as you indicated, communication is a, is a key with the public so they understand uh, what this program's about, uh, its uh, beneficial uh, impacts to the communities and uh, to the biology too, as you also indicated. So, you know, I'm wondering if there might be, you know, maybe uh, communications uh, division or department could, um, you know, spread the word, so to speak, uh, through social media or other methods that they have, uh, like through the insert in the IJ, maybe they could add a page or maybe, maybe uh, um, the Wildlife uh, Prevention Authority could help uh, fund some additional communications that you guys are in the lead of. So I'm just, I'm just indicating uh, that I think it'd be good to, to increase communications about this program. Yeah, totally. Um, and just to, to respond to that a little bit, you know, we've only had um, really positive uh, response from, from communicating all this work in the past. So we have tried using social media and, and um, reaching out to the local communities where the work is going to happen. Um, and that is, is really great at just helping us have that uh, interaction, that chance to um, answer any outstanding questions and to answer any uh, confusion like sometimes we do have to adapt and shift our timing and so people are maybe thinking something won't happen or because we had to adjust the timing later so just to let people know the work is still coming but there were late rains so yes uh, the communication is critical for um, managing those expectations and, and answering any questions and then yeah great ideas for um, how to and, do and that I, more and partner with the, the fire agency so we can kind of expand multiply that yeah and there might be you know, additional signage, temporary signage that goes up. Because I know I live in Terralinda and all the neighbors love the grazing program, but they don't have a clue, frankly, who's doing it. One neighbor told me it was a water district. You know, I mean, they just completely, I don't, if they did a little bit of research, they'd find out. But there's no obvious information there on site when it's going on. So it's just a great way if there's some way to connect better with the neighborhoods, I think it would be, you know, just beneficial. Mike, you had a question? I'll just, just be quick. I just, I, very brief, you know, if you had QR codes at the, at the start on a thing, mm -hmm. people could just hit, hit it and then they could walk in and read what's on the QR code. I don't understand the technology of it, but I'm sure someone does. That would be a, that would help with the communication part. Yeah, I know we have signs that um, do have information like brought to you by Measure A, and, and if there, people are able to scan yeah, something and get more, codes, more information about the project or about Measure A, that would be great. Yeah. All this stuff that you have in here could be on a QR code that they could zap. would be great. Sorry. I'd just like to build on the communication um, issue raised and wondered what kind of outreach you've been doing with the city managers and maybe briefing some of the councils. I know working with the Wildland Fire Prevention Authority, some of their board members have been on councils, but I think that particularly the communities where there's the WUI, the Wildland Urban Interface, and related to that, maybe the fire chiefs, you know, have some priorities and want to offer some um, suggestions for you or some partnerships. So I wondered if you might look 
at, at that, getting the word out to the local jurisdictions and asking for their input on priorities, that, particularly thinking about the upcoming fire season. Well, I could, I could jump in. I'm sure you got more detail. But I, I'd just say that's one of the really cool things about this budget process that we have is that we work in tandem with the Marin Wildfire Prevention Authority. And so they have a process, and all those cities and towns are, and the fire districts are part of that in terms of figuring out what their priorities are. And they have to get all of their projects together at, you know, within the same timetable that we're putting our projects together. And then we present our projects to their technical advisory committee to get their feedback. And at the same time, they present their projects to us. So if they have something on our land, we can plan it together and understand their priorities. Because the reality is we've been working with all the cities and towns and the local fire agencies for years on their priority projects. But we often didn't find out about those projects until like a month before they wanted to do them, which was very challenging. And Sarah and our whole team worked very, very hard to try to accommodate our local partners. And it's fair to say that those fire agencies before the MWPA didn't have a lot of experience with planning, right? They had experience with responding to fires and things like that, but, and they had the concepts around what they wanted to accomplish. But the MWPA has been great because it brought them into having to do the planning and the importance of planning things out in advance. And so that's something that's really really been exciting and helpful for us. I think that's great, and I would suggest when you take this forward to the board, you include a couple of slides on that process, because you do have some new board members who may not be fully aware, and I think what you just said is, is very important and would help understand and mention that uh, those are part of the partnership and flag it, so, because I didn't really get that and didn't recall we covered that in detail in January. So I think it's great to hear, and I, I just would highlight it a bit more as you take this forward. Sounds good. Yeah, and that I just would say the advanced time to plan includes the time to communicate. So knowing about a project only a month before makes it really hard to share that information, but the, the farther in advance we know, the more we can share, and the more partners we have, the more we can kind of leverage all of our communication strategies so that we're all sharing information about this, these same projects so we can reach more people that way. Yeah. Do you have, the second question, do you have built into this sort of a contingency or an emergency fund so you can respond to you know, issues that may come up, thinking again about the fire season? And I think that having that quick response capability and flagging that might be helpful as well. Yeah, we have a very adaptive approach, and really, that's sort of that's been our historic uh, uh, approach has been just being very responsive, and we're trying to have a more looking forward planning, um, a longer term sort of intention setting approach. But we still retain that responsiveness. One of the really cool things is that a lot of our labor sources for this work are. Um, we have agreements that are, you know, not site-specific for the labor. So we agree, like, the, for instance, the Fire Foundry, like a program with Marine County Fire and Conservation Corps North Bay provide a significant amount of labor. Conservation Corps North Bay and their regular program provides a significant amount of labor. Those large agreements with them set a, like, a daily cost 
but they're not specific to a site. So if we find out there's another site that needs to be addressed, we can uh, you know, move the, the labor source that we have around. Very, very good presentation. I like it, and this is a really awesome work that you're doing. I have a question in regards the the hand pulling. All these projects, all these weed management projects, do you uh, use exclusively staff, or you you work with volunteers for that? Um, we work with everybody who is interested in working. <laughs> so yes, all volunteers of all ages, um, and. Um, also contractors and as Max mentioned, Conservation Corps North Bay is a really big part of the work that we do and those um, programs to develop uh, skills, these types of skills with uh, youth so that they can come into jobs in our agencies and do the same type of work. And then we do have uh, both seasonal and permanent staff members that work on our staff to, to do the work and supervise and train. So um, those are all very important uh, ways to get the handwork done because it requires a lot of hands. <laughs> Any comments or questions from the public? Online? Chairperson Guardado, I apologize for changing your last name. Uh, there are no speakers in the queue. So we do. I move, to, I move we recommend this plan to the Board of Supervisors, to Board of Directors for the 22 do I hear a second? Okay, second, okay. Um, so all, all those uh, that approve? Aye. Aye, okay. Let's move. <laughs> we can move to the next Good job, one. take the rest of the day off. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> hey. We now move to the next item in our agenda, uh, which is the, the potential change to park entrance fee. This is another action item. Thank you, commissioners. And I'll give a quick intro and hand it over to Kevin. And I know Ari is also going to help on this one. Um, I wanted to just start by appreciating uh, all of you. You know, we had an informational item at the January meeting, got a lot of really great feedback from your commission. We've uh, made some uh, changes to our proposal that I think really improve it based on the what we heard from you all. And uh, so... First off, Kevin's going to give a little bit of a recap of how we arrived at this proposal and, you know, what the motivations are for it. And then I'll give a little update on um, how we've changed the proposal since getting your feedback. And, uh, and then Ari will go into detail in terms of what the proposal is. Excellent. Hello, Commission. Nice to be here with you all. As Max said, I'm just going to give a recap of a bit of what we discussed last time and the reason we brought this proposal to you in the first place, and then we'll jump into more about the numbers. Um, so next slide. Perfect, yeah. Uh, types of fees. So we charge fees in a lot of different areas, both in our parks and open spaces, including uh, this fee we're focusing on, which is the entrance fee. The unique thing about the entrance fees is a couple of things. One, we charge those fees at our most diverse park sites, our regional parks, as well as our boat launches. And also, it's an instance of a fee, the only type of fee we charge, where uh, basically we charge folks uh, to enter a park. So it's basically a first barrier. Um, in every other case, you can get into a park. We charge fees for a variety of things, but you're already in the park, enjoying at least some part of the park. Whereas entrance fees, 
you literally have to pay the fee before gaining access. So I've been collecting data, performing research, uh, community surveys in partnership with local organizations and having a lot of community conversations over the last 10 years. And in summarizing what I talked about last time, I just wanted to focus on three key points. One is, why are these park sites the most diverse? Why are regional parks where we're looking at this um, entrance fee reduction the most diverse? And it comes from feedback about several different things. One is, these park sites, no matter who you talk to, are typically the most familiar. So folks who have recently migrated from Central and South America have told us through Healthy Parks, Healthy People outings that while they typically wouldn't go hiking in open spaces because they don't know what's dangerous, um, typically they may not do that back home. These park sites, which are more well-maintained, that look like traditional parks, are more uh, welcoming and more familiar. Um, these are also clean and safe sites. We've heard a lot of great reviews about our park rangers from people of all backgrounds. They walk into a regional park, they feel very well taken care of, things are very orderly and neat, and feel safe and well-maintained. Um, these are also our most accessible sites, so we spend a lot of uh, money and attention making sure that these facilities are accessible, similar to any building environment like the Civic Center. Uh, we've also heard from the Youth Commission and youth in general, as well as seniors and intergenerational groups, that these are the most prioritized social spaces. For the most part, um, groups want to go out together. We learned that in our visitor research uh, a couple years back. And these are the park sites that most um, or best facilitate those types of outings. Finally, um, they're also the most welcoming sites, and for a couple of reasons. Um, one, uh, you're not going and parking in someone's neighborhood, you know, across the street from their house. Um, if you're someone like me, I've even driven up in a parks vehicle and had uncomfortable encounters um, occasionally. And in a regional park, you drive in, you're well taken care of, that kind of um, situation doesn't happen, and you just feel very, you know, you feel like you belong. Um, also, because those sites are the most diverse already, there are already people from lots of different backgrounds, it's more likely that you, no matter what background you come from, are gonna walk in and see someone like you, interact with someone like you, which creates a welcoming environment. A couple other things, why is it important to um, make parks popular and see increased support? So we have the Library Park Pass program. You can go to a library and check out a park pass. We also have the Community Grants program, extremely popular programs, talked a lot about during the Measure A campaign um, in front of the Board of Supervisors and throughout the community. There are some of our current programs to provide some amount of free access. And what these programs have showed us is that um, one sort of popular uh, demand for parks really increases, um, people generally uh, increasingly appreciate parks when we roll out these programs. They're very popular programs. They're very well respected in the community and often cited. Um, but also what we found through research, especially through the community grant program, is once people come out on a first trip and have a positive experience in a park, um, after we've removed some of these barriers, they actually have reported coming back with their families over and over and over again. So we're not just creating a fan the first time during a first visit, but we're actually creating access in the long run, which ultimately comes back to our parks department to support us um, through a growing base of um, park users. Finally, I just want to mention um, public health. I was just written by Dr. Matt Willis, our public health officer, um, earlier this week uh, with a note talking about how parks are even more important now than ever. Uh, we thought that they were the most important during COVID, but it turns out that actually 
um, now that we're sort of many years into COVID, uh, he and other healthcare professionals are finding that um, things like preventable disease, uh, cardiovascular disease, and other types of disease uh, coming after COVID that are exacerbated by COVID can be helped by things like um, going out to parks and exercising outdoors. And so he just wrote me to say, parks are even more important now than ever. And we actually have collected data through our park prescriptions programs uh, in response to Marin Community Foundation and their findings that our communities of color in Marin have the shortest life expectancies across the county. And when we've done park prescriptions, when we've basically worked side by side with providers to get more people out to parks in those communities, we've seen decreases in all the different causes of shorter lifespans, diabetes, hypertension, obesity, mental health, uh, you name it. So that reflects the bigger body of data that shows how important parks are in getting people out to parks from all of our communities. So finally, I just want to say that um, for years and years, uh, the public as well as some of our key supporters, for instance, on the Parks Equity Roundtable, have been asking for us to remove this barrier, which is this first fee that you experience when you enter one of our regional parks, which are also our most diverse parks. And so um, without wasting time on the other slides, I just want to say that um, I strongly feel, based on the data and community input, that by removing park fees um, and recommending that we remove these park entry fees, the Board of Supervisors uh, will be um, really creating an overwhelmingly positive change in the community for years to come. I'm sorry, can we move forward a couple slides? I just <laughs> That's all right. Like Thanks, Kevin. It. No, you, you got it, covered it all. Thank you. you uh, can you move forward? Yeah, let's see. Up to the slide that says summary of proposed changes. There we go. Perfect. So um, th that was great. Great uh, overview of these changes and why we are proposing them. We brought this uh, that same presentation to your commission in January, and we heard a lot of really great feedback. I think, you know, what I heard from... Um, one thing I heard from your your commission was strong support for uh, the 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 benefits of reducing fees, but also a concern that reducing fees could reduce uh, the budget, the revenue coming into the county, and um, and our ability to uh, to provide important capital projects in our parks. Um, we, I want to appreciate Kevin and Ari and Chris and Yvonne, our whole team, uh, and especially Kelly from our planning team who did a lot of research. So Kelly went and looked at all of the other regional park agencies in the area, city and town parks, and put together, um, compared our fees, all the different fees that we charge against those, those rates. And one of the things that we found was that for our largest uh, reserva reservable sites um, that, you know, for 200 or more people, uh, that those sites we were charging a lot less than the other agencies in the region. And so, um, and then additionally, we found that there were a number of areas in our regional parks that had People wanted to uh, have access for sites, but we hadn't developed uh, picnic sites in those areas. And so we, looking at those things, um, we thought there was an opportunity to provide, add a few additional reservable picnic sites in our, uh, in our regional parks, specifically McNears Beach and Stafford Lake, and then additionally um, 
to charge more for the very largest sites. And one thing that we wanted to make sure was that any increase in our fees, uh, that they were not, you know, making our parks less accessible, which is what we were trying to achieve by limiting the entry fee. And so, you know, one thing that was important is, you know, the bulk of our reservable picnic sites are smaller sites, you know, uh, 50 people or under. And our goal was not to in, not to increase the, the cost of those sites because they're the most commonly used by family groups and others. The other thing we wanted to make sure was that for the organizations that utilize our community grant program and provide, you know, equity-focused programming and events, that the any fee increase did not negatively affect them. So one thing that Kevin's been working on is a uh, program where any organization can apply and basically have the fee waived for um, reserving any reservable site in our park if they are providing sort of equity-focused um, uh you know, not-for-profit community events. Um, so we took all of those uh, those uh, sites changes. I guess the one other thing to note is that our current fee structure has a different fee for uh, on off-season, higher-season, weekdays, weekends, and we noted that no other... Uh, land management park agency had those differences that typically they'd charge one fee which makes sense because fees are generally connected to the cost of maintaining the sites um, and the cost really doesn't change depending on the season so um, another change is is just charging one rate year-round um, but the uh, by making those changes so the estimated uh, revenue that we would lose by by making the parks f entrance free is three hundred ninety seven thousand eight hundred eighty five, and we would be able to generate our our estimate is three hundred eighty eight thousand two hundred eighty three. So almost that total amount, um, and then the additional sites we estimate would generate an additional eighty nine thousand five hundred twenty dollars in annual revenue. Additionally, by uh, eliminating charging an entrance fee, we would no longer have to pay for the uh, payment machines, which is about $14,100 a year. Um, and additionally, we have staff that a lot of their job is collecting fees and processing fees, and so it frees up staff time as well. Um, we didn't want to include that in here because we also recognize the adding reservable sites and things like that may increase the need for staff. So we think that those things probably, uh, you know, are wash out in the end. Uh, so, you know, I, I, I want to appreciate your commission for suggesting looking at our fees. You know, we did look at other fees, like our commercial use fee, filming, other things like that. A lot of those fees, like the filming fee, some of our other fees, we found that we were consistent with other uh, park entities in the region our commercial use fee, we flag that as an area that we need to look into more deeply, but that we don't have a recommendation at this time to make any changes to it. There's a huge variety of commercial uses that happen in our parks, and we just charge one flat fee. I think it's $500 a year, just over $500 a year. But some of those commercial uses are like single individuals that their whole livelihood is leading 
tennis lessons yoga. or yoga or yeah exactly and you know a change in the fee could be a huge impact on those individuals there's also very large businesses that use our parks the oyster farms in tamales bay use our boat launch to access their oyster beds so there's some um there's really a a big difference in that those types of things and so that's one thing that we flagged we want to look at more deeply and probably come back to your commission in a future year with a proposal around commercial use. Um, but that wraps up my overview, and I'm hoping to turn it over to Ari to just kind of walk through those changes in a little bit more detail. Just a quick question before we sure. turn it over. I, uh, you said you'd come back with in next year on the commercial use. I, I can encourage you to maybe do that a little earlier sure, and maybe investigate a tier system because you have an upside potential with the large users. Yeah, thank you. I just wanted to flag that it won't be a part of this, uh, this fee proposal. I agree with yeah. that, but I didn't think we need to wait a full year. Okay, thanks. Thank you, Max. Uh, good afternoon, commissioners. Um, Thank you, Max, for, for covering quite a bit there. And I will want to go through some of the items and the, and the color chart on the schedule. But before that, uh, I just want to say that most years in alignment with the budget process, the county, uh, the, the county administrator's office and the board of supervisors will direct the county departments to look at their fees and be sure that they're um, in alignment with the costs of doing business. Um, typically, that's a 3% increase uh, each year. Uh, when they do a two-year cycle, it's three each year for uh, six in, in, in two years. Um, that has not been done, at least for parks in a while, and maybe even for the county. I think the last time was 2018 that that's been done. Um, and the last time uh, that we uh, did anything with our fees was in 2019 when we eliminated the pool fee um, and reduced the entrance fee to $5. So... So again, the, our park fees have not risen uh, since at least 2018 and not even by 3%. So I wanted to make sure everybody was aware of that. Um, so in this process, um, as Max and Kevin described, we looked at a lot of our fees, and all fees um, that aren't getting eliminated are going to be increased by 3%. So that's, that's across the board, all, all the fees. And as you look at the schedule, you'll see the variety of colors the ones that don't have any uh, red, orange, or green highlighting, just the, the clear ones, and you'll, uh, those are the ones that are just getting increased by 3%. So uh, you'll see a, in the middle column on the right-hand side, proposed increase, and it's generally pretty small. Um, those are the 3%. So some of the ones that are in those categories are, like Max said, are smaller uh, uh, reservation sites that families will use. So for example, uh, at McNear's Beach Area uh, 4, is currently $85, it's getting a $3 increase uh, to $88. So that's the 3% increase. Shouldn't be a big impact to the families and small groups that are using the facilities. Uh, if you look at the orange color on the, uh, on the schedule, uh, those are our larger sites that we looked at, and you'll see that the, uh, the increase, the proposed increase, is significantly larger in most cases than 3%. So those are those sites that Max... Um, mentioned that we looked at other agencies and we found that uh, we were kind of below what other agencies were charging for those large sites where we're having you know, 300 or, or more folks, um, often large weddings, some corporation parties, um, 
big, big events. Um, obviously, those events uh, require a little bit more <laughs> maintenance and setup and takedown than, our, than the smaller sites, too. Uh, the blue uh, in the schedule, those are our existing sites um, that we have in the park that we haven't, uh, been, um, haven't been open or available for a reservation. So these are sites, uh, there's seven of them at Stafford and McIn at McNears that we're going to um, kind of turn on the, uh, the reservation uh, and make it uh, possible so that folks don't have to race there in the morning and wait in line and hope they get a site. They can reserve it. And those are typically, as you can see, kind of, again, smaller sites, uh, the, the cheaper family sites. Um, and then in green, this is kind of an exciting thing. Uh, these are new sites in, in the parks, mostly, again, in Stafford and uh, McNears uh, that we're proposing that aren't going to take a lot uh, to establish, so that's not too far off, um, but should generate um, some pretty good revenue and should make park visitors pretty happy. There's, there's a few in, in McNears in the, in the uh, southern end of the park that are between palm trees right on the bay. So I think it'll be a pretty, uh, pretty exciting picnic areas, and I think... Uh, They'll probably become some visitor favorites. Um, so those are the that's that explains kind of the different numbers and the different colors in the schedule. Um, as Max said, we're doing away with the um, the weekend the holiday and the off season rates. So it, it really cleans up the schedule quite a bit um, and it makes it less confusing for for staff and for the public. So uh, with that, I thank you and and ask if you have any questions for for any of us regarding uh, gosh this grand topic uh, yes thanks uh, great presentation I really appreciate the response of staff about uh, the previous uh, comments we had and it wasn't that uh, you know support wasn't there for the concept it was just the realization that the there was going to be an impact to the ability to fund capital projects because it'd be a loss in revenue so I think uh, doing a comprehensive study, a comparable analysis study that y'all did uh, was uh, quite beneficial. And, and it probably was needed anyway. So um, uh, good job. I, I was actually surprised you were able to offset that amount of money. And I know that's a projection, which brings me to my next point, which is I think these are projections and we need to monitor so I would do a monitoring analysis uh, in the next couple of years to see if, in fact, you are uh, uh, increasing to that amount or if it needs to be revisited at some point in time. Uh, and just, uh, you know, the, 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 it, it wasn't a prejudicial sort of thing to add fees to those kinds of to parks because at versus open space because uh, what's kind of known as asset demand, the, the demand for maintenance is substantially higher uh, and it, it requires a lot more staff to staff and uh, do maintenance on uh, regional parks as opposed to open space. So uh, it just costs a lot more. You've got swimming pools, you've got structures, you've got all kinds of things <laughs> involved in, in a park, uh, uh, a regional park versus an open space area. Not that they don't both cost money, but one is substantially more, and that's why the fees are there to offset some of that. But this program certainly addresses the equity issues, and uh, I think um, I think is a great step forward. So, uh, congratulations. 
But I, I would I would Michael, put in the monitoring someplace because I think it's important for the Board of Supervisors to know that it is something y'all are tracking and that it is just a, it's a projection. Oh, and I did have a question. So, and I assume that in, in proposing this project or these fee changes to, uh, uh, to the Board of Supervisors, it's inclusive. All these fees are included, fee changes are included in the proposal, correct? Correct, yeah. And I, I would just say on the monitoring piece, we will monitor it, but the county administrator will also monitor it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think I know who you're talking about. <laughs> Mike? I would just like you to um, look at what, what are the actual labor costs and maintenance and energy costs that have, incre have been the increased over this period, because I, th I think that 3% number may be a little low, and it would be good to have that. I think conceptually you've got exactly the right program, and I s support it overall, and I think that the colors for the larger fees are probably right, but I would just ask you to, to take a second look at your actual labor costs and maintenance costs, energy. Thank you. Uh, I, I have a few questions about uh, increases to group rates and how those fit back with the goal of eliminating individual entrance fees. As I understand, the goal of eliminating individual entrance fees is to increase park use, make it more accessible to a broader diversity of communities. That includes not only minorities, but also those that I speak with gray hair here are older, or uh, also looking at some of the wonderful health benefits that, that Kevin described. And what I heard in that whole mix of things that would come from eliminating individual entrance fees was things also like providing social spaces for group uses that would have important, not only societal, but also medical benefits. So having said that, I'm now trying to make sense of how that fits with increasing group rates. So could you speak a bit more to that? Um, because it seems like it's a bit contradictory. Yeah, maybe I can jump in and then we can, you all can add more. I think that's one of the reasons we didn't want to raise the rates on the smaller group sites. And I mean, smaller is still pretty large, even up to 100 people can, you know, be in those uh, smaller group sites. The larger group sites are typically like used for special events like, you know, uh, corporate picnics or even sometimes like small, uh, you know, gatherings or people use them for concerts or, you know, all kinds of different sort of uh, uses, large weddings and things like that. Um, they, they do take quite a bit of uh, support from staff, so there is sort of a cost piece to managing those events. But, um, but, you know, I think, and so I think that's why the other agencies in the area charge more for those events is they're sort of recouping the cost of managing them. Do those other agencies that you're using for comparison, do they charge entrance fees for individuals? Some do and some don't. So, so are you comparing to apples to apples? Uh, I mean, their goals, to say, I'm concerned about unintended consequences of, you know, you're trying to do something very good, 
by encouraging more individual use, but families and also groups, you know, that, that assemble folks that need the transportation to come to a location because they needed the transportation, might need to stay there longer, so might need a group site, you know, would they be somehow disadvantaged? And I think it's fine to look at what other agencies uh, in the area have done, but apples to apples, you know, are they charging individual entrance fees? Why are they charging the user fee? Is it set, for example, by federal regulation, or is it really a reflection of cost? So I, I, I just want to make sure we've really looked at potential unintended <clears throat> consequences, which is your encouraging on the one hand, but then discouraging another important use on the other hand. Yeah, and I guess the you know the none of the the agencies that we looked at were like federal agencies. So we looked at like East Bay Regional Parks, Sonoma County Parks, San Mateo County Parks, San Francisco Parks, San Rafael Parks, Mill Valley Parks, uh, Novato, a bunch you know a, a lot of local parks that had picnic areas. I think. Most of those do not charge an entrance fee, so like at so least these are straight up user fees then because they're a, the activity they're a, they're a reservation creates. fee, so okay. typically for a large similar to what we have to offer, you know there are large sites you i mean part of it the other piece of it too, right a lot of large sites you are reserving what is otherwise public space, so like a grassy field or something like that to have your event in and so and we really wrestled with this with our team as well, right? That like, in some ways, we also want to discourage the renting of some of those spaces uh -huh. for private use. Well, then I, I get that with the large, the larger areas, which sounds almost commercial use kind of activities when you're talking about weddings. That's always a debate: is that a commercial use? Yeah. Uh, the federal scheme, for those of you, as I'm smiling at Max. It's deemed a commercial use if the wedding planner books it, but if the bride and groom book it, it's not. So it's kind of a funny place. But uh, back to your proposed fee increases, I'm looking at McNair Beach Park, the blue and the green. Now, I thought that when you were describing those, those were family-sized facilities that you're talking about. So that goes back to, I get the larger scale commercial use kind of activities that you think they ought to pay a user fee for. But again, I just want to say, you know, in it, unintended consequences. Will this discourage families from using these brand new picnic facilities? I'll just tell a little story. One of the benefits of my job is I don't get to go out to the parks except on the weekends to go picnic myself. So it means that when I experience the parks, they're purely for pleasure. I get to hang out and not, not be on the clock. Um, and when I do that at McNear's during the summer, you show up and you drive into McNear's, and the first thing you notice as you drive down into the beautiful new parking lot is the big lawn in front of you. And what's happening on the big lawn during the summertime, you know, whether it's a weekend or a weekday, is families have gotten together in groups of 15, 20 people, and they're having barbecues, and they've set up their chairs, and they're enjoying the water. So I think one of the nice things about our parks layouts is we do have these group sites, and frankly, folks can always show up and take over one of those group sites and use them if they're not reserved, which can often happen. Um, but we also have these big unprogrammed spaces that are also used for family spaces, and they're really heavily used for family spaces. So by removing this 
you show up and you pay a fee type of barrier. Actually, we're just giving access to parks that actually accommodate uh, social groups very well in general. Well, let, let me just make a suggestion then as you go forward to, I, I don't want to uh, prejudge what the commission is going to vote on in terms of approve or not approve, but if you, if we do say go forward to the, the Board of Supervisors with this proposal, I'd suggest that as part of your presentation that you have a slide that runs through why you're not inadvertently by raising group rates discouraging the kinds of uses that your elimination of the individual fees was meant to encourage. Uh, and just put it out, I'm one of those people, you can, I'm showing my age that seeing something in writing, you know, somehow makes me focus a little bit more, you know, because you did mention that you're working on fee waivers, you're working on, you know, this mix of other opportunities, like what you just said, Kevin, but I think it would be good to have that right out there so it doesn't look like you're being inconsistent. You know, one other thing to flag, because we've we also met with our park teams, the rangers and staff that work at our parks, and they had a similar concern, which was especially the blue areas where we are adding a reservation fee to sites that are right now first come, first serve. Isn't that, is that right, Ari, that that's what the blue is? Existing now, available for reservation, you got yeah. it. Yeah. So one of the things we talked about is we can, some of the sites, some of our existing reservation sites we haven't put on, um, we don't currently have on our res reservable online software, right, for people to reserve. They're just first come, first serve because typically it's because they're important, they need to be refurbished or something like that, right? So we, we don't want to charge people for it right now. The, um, we are thinking with these sites, w once the board has approved a fee, we can charge that fee. We don't have to charge the fee. So we can be adaptive in our approach to those sites to like, you know, see how it's working with having them reservable. I mean, one of the things that we're sort of trying to balance too is that with them not reservable, people come like at five, 6 a.m. or you know, when the park opens to like stake out uh, their favorite picnic table, their favorite site. Maybe it would be helpful to folks to have them reservable as long as the fee's not too high. Um, but maybe that cr makes it less enticing to use. So one of the things that we were thinking about is, is maybe trying some of these, seeing how it went, we could always take them back off our software. The reality is these small family sites, they don't bring in, it's a very small amount of the overall uh, funding the larger sites bring in quite a bit more. They're more reserved and more, you know, bring in more revenue when you would, look at it over the year. Would it be possible then to give options within this proposal, which would be break out what the fees, what's the delta if, if you just had the larger uh, uh, areas in? Uh, as, as increased user fees. How, how much do you lose, in other words, if you drop out more of the family-sized, family-style locations? I don't know that we have it uh, like right now. I mean, I think one of the things that your commission could do is recommend that we bring this to the board with the opportunity, like with that sort of... As an option for as them an to option. consider. I mean, I think the other thing that, 
they could do too is approve that as a potential fee for the site, but direct us not to charge it, you know, at least at first and be able to phase it in, for phase it in and, and can, you know, be adaptive. The challenge with, Ari and I were just talking about this yesterday. The challenge is like, we can always not charge a fee, but we can't charge a fee, a new fee, without going through this whole long process, right? So um, it's, uh, it gives us the option of doing it. Um, but I, but it, that could be a good option for us too, is to bring that to the board with those two options and them sort of um, uh, priced out in terms of what they would bring in. There we go. Um, I just want to share everyone um, how important this is and how grateful I am that, Max, you're bringing up all the points that the community has shared. You know, those have been my experiences growing up in Marin County. Um, for me, you know, coming to um, accessing parks with my family was either Pickaweed Park and McNears, and McNears was a treat for us because we had to pay a fee. So. To, to be able to give families access to, you know, to these parks without, you know, that barrier of having to, uh, to pay a fee. Uh, for a family of six living in a one-bedroom apartment, that was a big deal for us. So, you know, we had to compromise and, like, when and map out when we could actually go to McNear's Beach. And, and I just remember being, um, you know, it's just being a family event whenever we went. And I know that even though I had the opportunity to um, access other parks through programs through school schools, I know that most of my family didn't feel you know that connection of going to other parks and trails across the county because we just you know didn't feel welcome there. So that was a place where we felt welcome. So I'm I'm very grateful that you've brought that up and that you know other members in the community have shared those because those are real. That's that's how we felt, um, and I, I know that's how many of the community members continue to feel. Um, sorry, my notes are all over the place. One of the things that I would like to encourage, and this is not something that you know needs to be on a proposal, but I think it's great that we're also giving um, you know other groups uh, the ability to access these um, you know the, these parks and the reservation areas, and giving them the opportunity to reserve and not have to pay fees and and. I didn't know about that, so I think it would be great to maybe even like promote it within, you know, areas and and you know, across the county with just different groups that may not know about this. Because again, I didn't know about this, but um, I think that was my only suggestion. Other than that, I think that this is a great opportunity, and um, you know, I was actually just kind of bringing up uh, something that I was reviewing that I saw. Most of the parks that do have fees don't have fees for boaters, bikers, and people that are walking in. And again, that's not something that's resembled in our community because one, we don't really own boats. Um, you know, walking, we can't, it's not accessible for us to walk to the parks. And biking, again, it's not accessible for us to, you know, access these parks then. So, you know, if we're talking about, you know, inclusive, being inclusive and being, you know, bringing equity, then, you know, these are this is a great opportunity to, to really, um, you know, be inclusive in, the, in all, all of the communities that, you know, are, are you know, low income and, you know, um, makes it difficult for 
be able to pay the, and access these parks. So thank you. I, no, I'm, I'm okay. Comments from the public? Good afternoon, Commissioner. Thank you so much for this opportunity. I'm Sybil Boutillier from Age Friendly South Lido, and I'm also on the Commission on Aging and the, uh, I chair the Equity Committee there. And um, I think this is a wonderful proposal to uh, make the parks more equitable, as you've already heard many examples. Um, Age Friendly South Lido brings uh, groups of older adults um, to the parks as part of a wonderful program we're going to be talking about later. But I just wanted to uh, give an example of something that Kevin mentioned because um, I personally have experienced taking a, a group of seniors from South Lido, Marin City, and some of the surrounding areas out to a park they had never been to before, and I know now they're planning to have their 80th birthday party there because they saw how wonderful it was. And uh, so having these opportunities to visit parks, not necessarily in the kind of group way that I'm talking, that this example was, but just being able to go to a park and see what's there and to feel welcome uh, is a wonderful encouragement. And um, I really hope that you move forward with this. And, um, and I appreciate um, the comments about seeing um, the how to make it a little bit more possible for family groups, perhaps, to uh, enjoy this, um, uh, some of the uh, smaller um, uh, picnic sites uh, that are normally reserved. Um, and uh, so I appreciate all the comments, and I hope you move forward with this. Thank you so much. Any other comments from public? Online? Chairperson Wardado, there are no speakers in the queue. Okay. Bruce, you want to have? I'm sorry. Yeah, English lady, I didn't hear your name, but you should probably get up and re either repeat what you said or just say your name so it's on the record so that the commission's supporting this. My name is Poppy Lasher, and I'm here on behalf of the Marin County Youth Commission. And you support the <laughs> proposal? Yes, we do. Thank you. I will move that uh, we recommend to the Board of Supervisors this proposed fee schedule. I second that. Second, okay. All in favor? Uh, I'd like to offer an amendment to that motion. Okay. Which would be that the uh, recommendation include options for the board that would include what the impact would be of uh, fee waiver or fee elimination for the family size uh, reservations so that the, the board has in front of it the option to do what's in front of us as well as a second option which would be to back out of the fees the uh, blue and the green <laughs> family size uh, sites Max yeah we can your you your commission can recommend uh, 
uh, us exploring that, and we may even have some other ideas of how to accomplish that between now and going to the board. And I'm not sure we may even have another commission meeting between now and when we go to the board to give you an update on it. But I think, um, uh, yeah, I'm just like thinking of, of other ways that we might be able to incorporate that um, also. But, but I think just recommending maybe that uh, staff explore other ways to include making some of these smaller sites more affordable. And again, it's, it's, I'm fine with going forward with the recommendation, but I would like to see options within that recommendation to give the Board of Supervisors a little bit more uh, opportunity to look at the impact of increasing fees on group use of the parks. You know, I think if if we add uh, that there be you know some kind of analysis of impact, so that, you know how would it be offset? So there may be different ways to offset these things. So that'd be fine, fine in my opinion, if we could do that. Clearly include the monetary effects of this. Thank you. Okay, so we'll vote on the on the with this amendment or inclusion, right? That's up to your commission. I'll accept it as a friendly amendment. Okay, thank you. So, and I second so, it again. Second it again. Okay. So, all in favor? Aye. Aye. Okay. All in favor. Thanks. Thank you. All right. Okay. Next item in the agenda. We, uh, we did six. Uh, we got number seven announcement of the application period of the 10 year of Measure A. That's funded Breathe Respira Community Grants. That's Kevin, right? Thank you, Chair. I'll make this really brief because the last item was really long. Um, the Measure A Community Grants have been around now for 10 years. It's just hard to believe. These grants were created to uh, improve access for communities that traditionally have experienced barriers or currently experience barriers to parks. And what it does is provide small grants up to $8,000 to community-based organizations and other local partners um, to basically bring their programs and groups they work with and have trusted relationships with out to parks. Uh, Sybil mentioned, I think she's still behind me, that um, Age Friendly Sausalito is an example of one of the grantees uh, in years past. And so um, these grants have um, introduced lots and lots of people to new park experiences, thousands every year. And um, I, the one thing I want to emphasize this year, you know, every year a press release goes out the same day we're having this conversation. So um, you can now go online, apply for a grant. The application process is extremely simple. Um, we intended it to be that way. And uh, in addition, we're returning back to a practice we started back in 2018. 19 before COVID, which is to have open houses to discuss our grant opportunities in communities of color. And so um, starting March 21st at the Marin City Senior Center and then continuing April 4th at the Dance Palace and Point Ray Station, April 13th uh, at the Pickle Week Community Center and then April 18th at the Hamilton Community Center from 12 to 1, you can actually meet with me and other staff members and talk about um, the variety of local grant programs as well as any funding needs you have um, because it always helps to have partners aware of what funding needs are out there. And um, you'll be able to uh, even get help applying for a community grant if you'd like to, but basically get some warm-handed technical assistance when it comes to local funding opportunities. Um, so I really encourage uh, 
folks who are looking for these opportunities who may represent uh, communities of color or other types of organizations who are working on better park access to come and talk with us and um, explore some partnership opportunities. Um, and with that, again, there's a press release going out. You can go on our website. There's a community grants page, and you literally just apply online a few simple questions, and uh, I look forward to working with you through that process. And Chair, remind me, in the agenda, you may have the opportunity to select a couple volunteers if they want to work with us during the grant um, process to review the grant applications, make some recommendations to the board and this commission. Is that on there? Uh, the next item is application of measure A. No, it's, it's not. No, I'd suggest the, the grants are due June, right? Anyway, Chair, you have the ability to, um, if a couple of folks would like to volunteer with me, um, to select a couple people oh, okay. that can work with me on Should the Should we do program. that at the May meeting? Because these, these aren't done until, these aren't due until June. Certainly, yeah. If you want to select Wait volunteers then. I, I would suggest. Either way it works. Let's do it the next meeting. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Any questions from commissioners? Oh, there. Um, Max, when did you say was the pickleweed? Um, when you guys would be a pickleweed? What was the date on that? It's uh, April 13th. Yeah. That's okay. Oh, they're all in there. And they're all 12 to 1, just to be clear. Great. Bring lunch. Oh, some snacks. Comments from audience? Online? Chairman Wardada, there are no speakers in the queue. Okay. Move to the next item, which is the application for Measure A Natural Land Preservation Grant Program Funds. This is an informational item also. Thank you, commissioners. I'll give a quick introduction and hand it over to Carl Summers, who's our Chief of Planning and Acquisition and Government Affairs. Um, so this is actually a, a neat opportunity and something, you know, I think in the past we've heard from your commission an interest in having more of a role in, um, uh, you know, providing transparency and feedback around potential acquisitions and use of the uh, Measure A Acquisition Fund. And so... As part of that, um, we are bringing this this item to you. It's not at a place where we can take action on it because there's still things that um, need to be fleshed out, but we wanted to bring it to you as an information item to provide transparency and then again to get your input. So with that, I will turn it over to Carl. Great. Thank you, Max. So uh, in a nutshell, what's up for discussion? That's not the first time I've done that. Uh, so in a nutshell, what we're here to talk about today is uh, an application that the Open Space District is in receipt, uh, receipt of from the Marin Open Space Trust requesting Measure A funds to support the acquisition of a piece of property in San Anselmo for long-term stewardship uh, by the town of San Anselmo. But before getting and speaking briefly to that opportunity, I do want to just briefly contextualize I'm not looking at the slide show on the screen. Slide, yeah. so we're on item number eight. 
So while that's, while that's being pulled up, uh, to spend just a couple seconds talking about, thank you, and uh, next slide. Talking about the grant program itself, uh, because several of our commissioners are new, and actually it's been uh, a number of years, it's been roughly five years since we've had a, an application under the program, under this particular grant program. So uh, as all of you, I think, know, Measure A revenues are divided as they come in, according to the ordinance, uh, into pots. One of those pots uh, land conservation opportunity fund. And over the course of Measure A 1.0, that generated well in excess of $10 million uh, in revenues. And by design, we ended up spending almost all of that money on acquisitions directly by the Marin County Parks uh, Department and Open Space District to add to our own land base. Uh, there was a grant program developed uh, early in the term of Measure A 1.0 to create the possibility for, you know, limited, the idea was that this would be on a, a limited and opportunistic basis for Measure A acquisition funds to be regranted to local jurisdictions or nonprofits to support acquisition projects, uh, for instance, that weren't going to end up where the land wasn't going to end up uh, under county ownership. So to date, uh, we've had, before receiving this application from the Marin Open Space Trust, there have been only two applications uh, for funding under the program, both from, from, from Marin Audubon. And I should also add that the, the, the spirit of the program, and in fact explicitly in the grant guidelines, was set up to be that these funds were supposed to be a relatively small in absolute terms, but also proportional to the overall size of the acquisition. In other words, the idea was that Measure A funds would be sort of a, a gap-filling, you know, last, last, the last brick needed to complete the acquisition. Um, so you can see the two awards we've made to date have been relatively small. There was a, a $100,000 award made to Marin Audubon back in 2015 to support their acquisition of lands in the Corte Madera Marsh. Uh, Marin Audubon subsequently restored that parcel along with other parcels that they'd acquired in the marsh and then either have conveyed or will convey eventually those lands to um, the State Department of Fish and Wildlife. Then in 2018, we made an even smaller award of uh, $28,500 to support their acquisition of a uh, parcel in Black Point Wetland, also for uh, restoration. I can't see my last bullet there under our... Uh, <laughs> but we'll just go ahead on to the next slide. So one, one thing to note is that as Measure A 2.0 was up for discussion, you know, the Marin County Parks undertook some outreach and our, par our partners undertook outreach with the public to uh, inform, you know, the design of Measure A 2.0 because it was an important opportunity to kind of refocus and readjust. And one of the things, a couple of things we did is that we, you know, the, our own land base at this point is quite mature. It's not that there aren't a few things out there and opportunities won't continue to arise, but we, we do feel like we're at a turning point generationally in the, the evolution of, our, of the Marin County Open Space District. Uh, and so the overall size of the land acquisition pot was shrunk from 20% of Measure A receipts to 10. And then we, we wanted to be much more intentional under Measure A 2.0, and we're pretty vocal about that in the lead-up to the election, that uh, we would increase the profile of this grant program going forward and make some adjustments to it to make it more appealing and useful to a wider array of applicants 
um, more in line perhaps, or at least bringing it closer in line with the RESPIRA program that Kevin was just talking about. So some of those changes, for instance, might involve um, increasing the level of participation in, of Measure A in an overall acquisition, so taking it from a very minority stake to potentially up to half of the total cost of an acquisition. These are changes that we're working on right now, and actually we plan to come back to your commission in May to present the proposed changes before we would ultimately take those, uh, bring those back and then take them ultimately to the board for presentation. So we're not quite to the place of re-rolling out the grant program. In the meantime, we've received this application from the Marin Open Space Trust under the previous still existing guidelines. And uh, with that, I'll, I'll just proceed through a few slides here to, to introduce the project. This map is locating us, uh, I'm sorry, can we go back to the, thank you. This map is locating us in the Sleepy Hollow uh, area of Central Marin uh, in, in San Anselmo and Fairfax. Uh, you can see the parcel here called out on yellow, and that line running a diagonal to the west is actually the boundary between the town at San Anselmo and Fairfax to the west. So if we can go forward a, a slide. So the, the upper Hawthorne parcel is just over nine acres. You can see in this uh, locator map here on the top that it's actually part of an assemblage. The town of San Anselmo, there's actually a couple parcels that are owned by the town of Fairfax. It's there are, I think, 37 acres of existing uh, municipally owned open space at the top of this canyon. Uh, the canyon does drain into the, you know, to the south, into to, to downtown San Anselmo. Uh, this parcel, as its you know, name suggests, is at the very, very top of the canyon. Uh, these parcels, all these parcels have been priority, local priority for open space acquisition and conservation going back to the 1988 San Anselmo General Plan. And I think that's been reaffirmed several times since then by the by the town. Uh, this is also, even though it's on the San Anselmo side of the line, uh, an important priority for the uh, town of Fairfax. The town of Fairfax residents also hike through and make recreational use uh, of these parcels, which I'll talk more about in a moment. If we can go to the next slide. So the, the photos here, we can't really see the bottom photo very well because of the captions, but... The photos here give you a sense of the, the lay of the land. Uh, again, this is the head of a canyon. One really cool thing to note is that, and, and we do, when we, take the, when we get these applications, we are looking, even though they're not, you know, there's not a requirement that they be, uh, you know, priorities of a countywide level of significance. In fact, that's part of what the whole grant program is for. Uh, it is nice to, to note those nexuses with uh, countywide resources. And so in this case, even though this is sort of isolated in the middle of Sleepy Hollow and it's not really adjacent to any of our existing open space assets, there are, uh, a, there's a, a, a right-of-way of legally uh, perfected uh, trails that get the, the pedestrian from this assemblage of open space parcels managed by the towns to our Loma Alta open space preserve. Again, via legally perfected, uh, you know, protected rights of way, and that's that's a cool thing. And people do make use of those pathways, and we know that their people are getting to Loma Alta and beyond on our lands via the connection they get from the towns of San Anselmo and Ross from these properties. Um, can we advance a slide, please? Thank you. Uh, so the total fair market value is six hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Uh, Marin Open Space Trust, the structure of the transaction is that Marin Open Space Trust has negotiated an option with the seller. Um, and 
I, that's not on the slide, but I can note that it's, it's part of the contribution, part of the funding plan is actually a contribution in kind from the seller. So this is a, a bargain sales, the way it's set up, the purchase price is $500,000. Uh, we, of course, are the request of the Measure A acquisition fund is $100,000. Again, that's consistent with the, with the existing guidelines. It's, you know, where this is intended to be a, a smaller incremental contribution. The balance of the funds are, I believe, um, intended to come from the town of San Anselmo, and also, interestingly, I believe the town of Fairfax is, is at least considering I'm sorry, an allocation of their own funds to support the purchase of the property by San Anselmo as a gesture of goodwill to their neighbor and, of course, again, knowing that their own residents prioritize and will make use of these parcels. Um, the uh, Another thing that's not noted on the slide and that informs our process here, and part of the reason this is informational today, is that Marin Open Space Trust deadline to exercise their option is this August, which... Working backwards, uh, we need to be in a position to take a grant. If we're going to advance a grant, we got to take a grant to our board. No later, we can proceed to the next slide. I think this is on the last slide. No later than June, but you know we all know that because of the budget-making process and the end of the fiscal year, June tends to be a complicated month for board agendas. And so actually really our target is to, if we're going to advance this to the board, to try to get it to the Board of Supervisors in May. And uh, in the meantime, we are still working through, you know, the application comes with attachments like the appraisal and title report. And part of our process is, to, is, is not only to determine the consistency of this with the spirit of the guidelines of the program, which I think we've determined that they are consistent with the guidelines and the spirit of the program, but then also to go through the due diligence and review the appraisal for ourselves and sign off on the appraisal. And we've not yet to a place have, we've not been through all those materials yet uh, to a degree that would allow us to present an action to the commission today. So that's why this is informational. We're not in a position to make an ultimate recommendation as of today. And then before your next meeting comes around, we'll need to be in line to go to our board of supervisors. But we did want to provide this opportunity for you all to ask questions and provide input and for the public to weigh in on the application. Thank you, Carl. Really interesting, excellent presentation. Uh, just a couple of questions, more for clarification. So uh, Marine Open Space Trust would hold the title on this property should uh, the acquisition be uh, finalized? Excellent question. I'm sorry I didn't clarify. No, ultimately, so the Marine Open Space Trust is the structures that they've negotiated the purchase, and they're pulling together all the funding. But then once they acquire it, they'll convey, I, I think, in a back-to-back -back close of escrow with to the town of San Anselmo, which will be the long-term steward of the property. Because these are public measure A funds, then uh, you know, at some point in the future, San Anselmo couldn't sell it for commercial development or something. It would be uh, uh, guaranteed. Restrictions on it. Yeah, restrictions. Yes, well, there'll be a deed restriction that carries the interest of the county and the long-term future of the property. Right. I thought so, but I just wanted to clarify it. And, I, and just to add that, you know, the tenure, uh, this may change as it relates to acquisition projects. I, I don't know that it will in the future iteration of the program, but at least, you know, under the current program that goes back to Measure A 1.0, the tenure of protection is permanent. This is perpetual protection. And just to follow, to be clear, the, once the money goes in, there's no more money that the county needs to spend for 
maintenance, trail maintenance, fire maintenance. That kind of, it's just that's correct. That's the beauty of the, the town program. Owns, the town yeah. of San Sam owns it, and then no, no more county money. Listen, Mike. Just to be clear, then on the schedule, we'll be offered an action item in May. I, I don't think so, and that's that's what the, because the timing won't work out for us to come to the, your meeting in late May, or it might not work out for us to come to your meeting in late May and then still be in line in time to get on a board of supervisors agenda, in time to inform the Marin Open Space Trust process that you know decision that they've got to arrive at in time to exercise by August. So, so the next item though would be for you to bring us the. 2.0 version in May. Precisely. We do plan to come back to the, your commission in May with a presentation on the proposed changes to this grant program going forward to, to, to cover Measure A 2.0. That's right. From public comments? My <coughs> microphone on? Sounds good. Well, good afternoon. Uh, my name is Jonathan Braun, and I am a board member of the Marine Open Space Trust, but I also serve as the co-chair of the Town of San Anselmo Open Space Committee in a role that I've had for 42 years, if you can believe that. Hmm. So I was very much involved in the original acquisition of the lower part of Hawthorne Canyon, and Carl did a great job. Um, I think you have most of the information you're going to want, but I wanted to fill in a little bit of the history. Um, because this is not the first thing that's happened in that area by any means. So the town of San Anselmo acquired the first part of this open space park in um, 1975. There was a two-acre property that the town acquired right in this area. But then in 1996, um, a private owner proposed a subdivision of the lower part of this cane, which is 22 acres. And that came before the town in a development review, and story poles were erected on the hillsides and the neighbors of course were very upset we had already designated this as a priority for open space so a campaign was launched and we successfully um, with the neighbors and with the community and with our own fundraising were able to raise the 590,000 to acquire the 22 acres so that's known as the Hawthorne Canyon open space preserve it's been there since 1999. It's a cherished amenity for the community. There's a lot of access. But then in 2005, the town acquired yet another property that's contiguous, which is 12 acres on the eastern side. So as Carl mentioned, we now have about 37 or so acres in place. And this will really be the cap to this wonderful, potentially 45, 46-acre open space preserve. And what's so cool about it is that there is access, continuing access from the neighborhoods and the lower part of the communities through these parcels to the ridge line, through another park that we acquired called Kite Hill, and then on to the Loma Alta Preserve. So there's great connectivity. A lot of thing, a lot of the stars came into alignment on this with a very um, uh, cooperative and willing seller who indicated to me personally that her family desire to see the property remain in open space. So we were able to obtain this um, exceptionally low purchase price and excellent terms. And um, so we're looking for this additional help and, and with the fundraising. To date, 
most in the San Anselmo Open Space Committee have raised about 80,000 or so dollars in private contributions. The San Anselmo Open Space Committee is tentatively committing 200,000 from our open space fund from monies that we've raised in San Anselmo. And then we're looking to this and then we'll be um, mounting a major fundraising drive to complete the funding. So barring any questions, that's, that's what I wanted to say. Thank you. Uh, excellent contribution on your uh, time and efforts. Thank you. Any other comments from uh, online? Chairperson Guardado, there are no speakers in the queue. Any comments from commissioners? No. If not, I think it's a great, great acquisition. Yeah. Okay. Um, the last item, well, the last two, is the commissioner reports. Any Mike? I've been continuing to work with the working group and Kevin on the measure A sustainable farming, and we've been working on getting a coordinator hired, uh, doing interviews, and then developing the grant materials, and that's very exciting. Thank you, Mike. Uh -huh. uh, yes, uh, Bruce and I uh, had the opportunity um, to uh, join. Uh, Max, uh, Chris, and John uh, for a tour of uh, Red's, Roy's Redwoods where, uh, to, also, to consider the components of a plan that was, you already saw uh, a good part of it already. Uh, and uh, this being on site was a fantastic opportunity. Uh, John gave us a really, some really good insights and we were able to see how this plan would unfold in reality. Uh, and Roy's Redwoods, just have to say, is just a unique site. Uh, has old growth redwoods, which are pretty rare, you know, because so many redwoods are, uh, are old growth redwoods were part of the timber industry at one time. And so you've got a lot of second growth uh, redwoods, but at Roy's Redwoods, it was actually left alone. So uh, it's, it's quite unique, and I think the plan itself will be great for the public. It'll increase access, uh, which is very important. And, um, and we were also very delighted that uh, Bruce uh, brought some treats for us. So that was very nice too. Thank you, Pat. Um, there's no more questions or concerns or comments. Uh, we adjourn the meeting and the next meeting is it's scheduled for May 18, 2023. Great job.